Welcome to Regenerative Rising's Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I'm your host, Celine Diaris, and with me today is the incredible, drumroll please, Clorinda Pharmacy Stanley. Thank you so much for joining us, Clorinda. I'm so excited to have you on this podcast today for so many reasons. Um, so welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I am too. I am too. So just to give a little um, framing, uh, Clorinda is the founder of Green Heffa Farms. She is also um, a certified B Corp, which is a big deal. There aren't very many farms that are certified bees, and there aren't many CEOs who are Black women who are leading certified B Corps. And that's shocking to hear and know, but it's so impressive that you have um, tackled some things that are pretty unusual, particularly in the farming space to become a B Corp. Um, I'd like to start with what you call, a lot of people say the four P's or the three P's and you have the four E's and I love the four E's. I'm probably going to become a, an ambassador for this as a reframe because I think they're very powerful. So do you want to share a little bit about the four E's with us? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I did just want to note that, um, According to um, what B Corp has been able to ascertain, we're actually the first black owned farm that has received its B Corp certification in the country. Okay. And I was really um, happy to work with B Corp on creating the level program, which is specifically geared towards increasing the number of BIPOC women-led organizations and becoming B Corps. And so uh, we had our first cohort. I was, I guess, the, the first graduate uh, attaining B Corp certification. And there are uh, four other fantastic women that are going through that program. And to my understanding, it's going to be something that they're going to continue. So there'll be another cohort um, coming up in 2022. So really excited about that. I am impressed. I will just say thank you for exerting some leadership in that space, because that should be a fundamental intent. And I know that there's a lot of care in the leadership around creating more equity and inclusion. So I'm super happy to hear what you're helping foster. Yeah. Well, as I explained to the B Corp folks, you know, we, we are a B Corp with, you know, our B stands for black. So (laughs) (laughs) yes, we're just expanding. We're just expanding that definition, but yeah, the four E's. So the E's stand for the, guiding principles, I guess, um, or priorities in guiding our efforts as a business. And so they are economic empowerment, which we're going to be changing to economic development. Mm. And that's really expanding the idea of um, farmers in the 
the economic ecosystem, there's a tendency to want to put farmers in a box, right? I've noticed that there's a very different reception if I introduce myself as CEO of an emerging uh, natural health brand or, you know, we are the producer and manufacturer of wellness products that help to expand one's well-being program. Then you say, I'm a farmer. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and there seems to be almost like this letdown or this lack of appreciation for just how entrepreneurial um, a farming business is. So you have the economic uh, development. Then you have the education piece and wanting to ensure that we're not only educating consumers and customers, but we're also helping to educate uh, the stakeholders in today's agricultural industrial complex and having conversations um, geared around educating beginning farmers and new farmers and particularly black and BIPOC women who are wanting to come back to agriculture. And then the other E is, of course, equity, because that's a conversation that Really, I don't understand how any conversation in agriculture can truly be had without uh, including equity, considering that it is an industry that was literally built on the backs of inequitable practices. 100%. And then last but not least, we have the environment. Um, we are very much committed to doing as little harm as possible. We'd actually like to end up with the final tally for having done much, much more good than, than harm to the planet. So we do our best to be as environmentally conscious as possible, which isn't necessarily easy in today's capitalistic system, which makes being environmental more expensive. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and that is such a... I, I like that you just spake, spoke to that because when you think about true costs, the true cost of not being a caretaker of our living planet is extraordinarily high. And we're all inside of a consequence that is really frightening, really overwhelming, and it's going to be exceedingly expensive to try to address. And if we had been operating for all this time with a sensitivity and a care for each other mm -hmm. and for the living world around us, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a beautiful possibility of where we could be and where we can go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But there's so much that needs to shift with that, right? Right. Like the whole idea of regenerative agriculture, when you have to regenerate something, that means that it has been destroyed. Right. And there's a tendency in our society that when the systems that have been designed do exactly what they do, there's this um, this desire to make the accountability um, equitable. <laughs> we could be equitable when it comes to placing the blame. You know, like we have to fix this. And it's like, well, hold on. Who broke it? And if you broke it, why are we looking to you for the solution? Like, Help it make sense to me, but yeah. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> this is another reason that I adore you because you are a truth speaker and you call it for what it is. And it's refreshing because it's true. It's like, 
I've, I've seen a lot of different articles that talk about, you know, the fact of the matter is, is all of us as individuals, we're really not the source of the big problem. The big problem are these huge multinational corporations that have been operating with all of these damages off the books as not actual costs. So it doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility as an individual to, to live in a caring and stewardship kind of way towards people and place. However, to your point, there's a lot of big, big actors that continue to be able to do what they're doing. And, you know, why are they not being held to account in a way that actually presses their thumbs like financially? Yeah, because it's mostly white men. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And And that's true. And they um, and so when you are the designer of the system, then, of course, you're going to make it so that you have, you know, the most advantages. Um, And so, yeah, we do have these large corporations that are built on this capitalistic system that came at the expense of devaluing some members of humanity and prioritizing others. And um, that has resulted in uh, what I refer to as a spiritually raggedy um, system, systems that are at their core uh, flawed. And it's always a question of at you know, on one hand, we know that the system doesn't work and we know that eventually it's going to have to change, whether that's done willingly or it's some catastrophe or, you know, balancing that with how do I navigate within this existing system to still be able to affect change, but not put myself in a position where I become just like the very um, entities that, you know, we say we don't want to to be alike. And so that is why we have kept our four E's at the core of what we do, as opposed to uh, the, the American way, which is to think first and foremost about profit, right? <laughs> we put principle before profit. We put our conscience before capitalism and it's not easy especially being from a a double systemically excluded population as a black woman in agriculture, in the South, in medicinal plants. (laughs) And then because I like it spicy, I grow a little too. Yeah. I mean, you do. I mean, you couldn't have selected a more like. Go for it. You know, right. Just just give it to them. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And, you know, I'm from the South and I know I know the South. And I think about the fact that you're also in a state that has some pretty strange behaviors collect, you know, at the (laughs) at the governmental level. And and also you've even spoken to there have been acts of vandalism uh, towards your property. And yeah, Yeah. Um, I don't like, I mean, that makes me pretty darn unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not ideal, but I did choose a piece of property in an area that has a very small amount of, 
Um, black farmers, I think we're like 3% maybe, um, mm. something like that, uh, which is, is, is actually pretty representative of, you know, actually it's more farmers than we have uh, nationally right nationally, now. Nationally, yes, black that's farmers. right. Yeah. But yeah, and then it doesn't help. I got this, you know, these, these pesky double X chromosomes <laughs> causing all of a stir and cisgender uh, single woman who's very much um, vocal when when I feel that my voice uh, either needs to be heard or isn't being heard. So, yeah, it, 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 there have been a few acts of, of um, vandalism, just enough to, to piss me off. You know, not, not anything at this point that I feel isn't addressable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. And I yeah. used to have a little Confederate, um, little battle flag flying, but uh, I don't know what's going on with that particular uh, home because their flag is real raggedy. And I would think like their fellow racists would come and support them and give them a new flag. Uh, update that flag. <laughs> Maybe you want to think about a different ideology. Maybe racism isn't working out for you. Right. It's looking a little raggedy over there. Maybe that's raggedy. deeply symbolic of just how out of step you are, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, how long have y'all been doing this? <laughs> You know, seven generations in and, and it's still, huh? This is where you've got. OK, well. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's it is a where my team and I are reading um, Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, mm. The Origins mm. of Our Discontent. And whoo, that it, is. I haven't read that. Is it a. Oh, my. You I highly recommend the book. It is powerful. It is not a nighttime read if you want to sleep, but it's it's a powerful um, accounting of sort of how systemic racism is baked in and that we have a caste system and it's driven by skin tone. Yeah. And that's something you can't do anything about. And so it is a horrible, horrible. It's horrible. It's obviously yeah, horrible. No. I, I'm, I'm going to check that out. So my farm is actually in the next county over. I have a 52 minute ride to and fro every day. So I have turned into a road scholar, i.e. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I will have to download this one to, yes. to check it out because that's real. And that's another complexity added to even uh, my experience in agriculture as an unambiguously black. Uh, Absolutely. You are unambiguously black. Yeah. And that that is so real. And yeah, I, I think this book, um, it, it's really, I think, should require be required reading, especially for people of my skin tone, that we need to understand just how significant this privilege thing really is mm. and to have this sort of the veil of denial pulled away because when she, the way she she's an excellent writer okay so it's also just so beautifully crafted and i love beautiful writing it's like robin wall kimmerer's book um braiding sweetgrass mm. it's a you know kind of the blending of like what we've lost by not paying attention to native science Mm-hmm. And native understanding and being so dismissive of things that would have taught us to how to have to be in a relative relationship, which 
is a beautiful segue to something I've heard you say okay. that I love, which is um, let's talk about the, the black widow under the water. Gertrude. Pump. Gertrude. Yeah. yeah. We're, I think we're on like the next generation of Gertrude. So did you know that black widow spiders can live up to three years? Wow. I did not you know see, that. You see how no stress and longevity. She came up with the system. She eliminates the stress and boom, lifespan. Phenomenal. Um, so yeah, another cool fact about Black Widows, a lot of people may not know, and I don't know if I have the term right, so I won't say the actual term, but essentially some Black Widows allow themselves to be their kid's first meal. So they literally, the babies eat the mom. Well, you know, I think a lot of mamas feel that way already. <laughs> sacrifice themselves for the young. I mean, yes, that's just the phenomenal. ultimate sacrifice. Wow. So, yeah, I discovered Gertrude um, soon after we had our well put in and the cover put on it and flipped it up one day. And there she was. And my immediate uh, response was to take Gertrude out. That This is a black widow, you know, mm. they kill people, which they actually don't. Um, I think the last time someone died from a black widow was like in the 80s. Right. Like they don't. <laughs> they just make you a bit uncomfortable. But anyway, so the the um, the plumber at the time, no, actually wasn't the plumber, it was an electrician, was like, no, I didn't kill it. It's not doing anything. And I was like, you're right. It's not. And so then I started to actually um, personify Gertrude, gave her a name, lots of things on our farm. We, we named them because that gives us some, you know, that 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 makes you think of the sentient being. So to speak. absolutely it gives them agency. Mm -hmm. And then I started to relate to her like, girl, I get it. It's, you know, the whole relationship thing. I mean, I don't eat them, but <laughs> I've had a few to say, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they've been spit out and, and, and being a black woman, folks scared of you. They don't even know you don't know your story. You're fine here, Gertrude. So Gertrude uh, has taught us a few things. We don't go over to the well pump house rapidly. You slow down. The young kids even know, don't go over there flipping stuff up because Gertrude may be there and we don't want to disturb Gertrude. Right. And on occasion when we flipped up the well pump and there she is in her unimpressive web, they are the laziest web builders ever. <laughs> and she's just there in her fat glory. And it's it's paying a little homage. Like, what's up, Gertrude? So I'm actually going to even get a sign made for the well pump to let people know. As long as Gertrude and all of her successive um, generations want to be here, this black female will have a home. <laughs> That's right on. Right on. I love it. Well, and thank you for sharing this, the fullness of that story, because I think there's such an opportunity for us to pause and be in relationship with what's around us. And I, like you, I mean, I'm very mindful of respecting like we had an invasion of ants this year in our house and they had found the bird food container and had found a way to come in under the door into the house and I was like scooping and putting outside I, I didn't go into some I'm going to smash 
kill. I just patiently did this thing and then we sealed up the area and it took several iterations to figure out all of their fabulous strategies for coming after that. And then I started sprinkling it outside like, well, here, I'll just put some for you here. (laughs) Just don't come to my house that much. (laughs) Ants, ants, roaches and, and mosquitoes on site. I'm taking it out on site. I'm not asking questions. I'm not trying to understand what's going on. We do need socially distance. Okay. All right. All right. Well, there you go. I haven't evolved there yet. Now, the the spider, I'll let the damn spider stay up under the well house. But the mosquitoes, roaches, and ants, no. No. Well, (laughs) I'm I'm not a roach person, but I don't have any of those. And I probably would be the same, I'm afraid. For that. Yeah. Uh, but the ants, no, I mean, they were, it was like, and they didn't go anywhere else. So it was like, this is a little very, black ants. They yeah, it was a little tiny, ants? little teeny. Okay. They're, we call those sugar ants. Um, yeah, they were like sugar ants, tiny yeah. little things. So all you have to do with those is if you run your finger across their path, it messes up their scent. So they're following. I tried that. I tried it that. It didn't work. They were too smart. They're an evolved species in Maya house. I okay. Think. <laughs> put, some, put some perfume or something on you, something strongly scented, and try okay. that. Um, if well, that, we've won the battle with those guys, we we have succeeded. But um, okay. I brought them up as like that's one of we have a lot of stories with ants that we've we've decided to not harm them, but to close their access point, and it's it's worked over time. Um, so I also want us to talk a little bit about something else that is in the more esoteric realm, which is having relationships to living things like plants, okay. playing music, talking to plants. I mean, I've seen you out in your field having conversations with the girls and um, <laughs> I yeah, love that. I guys. Yeah. I, Tell I me about that. that. I just try to keep the lines of communication open, right? <laughs> try to keep the lines of communication open. I get along with plants better than people sometimes. Um, I feel that we listen to each other better. Uh, we have a, a, and it's not even a symbiotic relationship. You know, we try to romanticize plants and say that plants are here because they want us to have a better quality of life. No, plants don't really like us like that. Uh, it's, a, it's symbiotic in the sense they need our carbon and we, of course, need their oxygen. So there's that, but they're not growing so we can eat them or or cut their leaves off. And so I understand that. And I'm like, look, I'm trying to make it you as comfortable as possible for the time that we have together. All right. It's all about you. It's all about you. So I do talk to the plants. Um, I do find that they have musical preferences. Um they have moods. They they do. It's 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 odd because I didn't see myself as trying to become like this. I don't know how to whisper, but this plant murmurer will say. <laughs> and <laughs> and now I actually look forward to it. They don't tell you secrets. They don't tell you business. You know the little saying: um, "Drink your water, mind your business." Like that's plants' mood twenty four seven. We drink our water. We mind our business. If humans were to actually get a few character traits from plants, we probably would eradicate a lot of the problems that we create. So, yeah, I enjoy vibing with them. 
I love that. I love that. Well, you know, so let's talk a little bit more, you know, Green Heifer Farms, you are creating teas and you're using both hemp and herbs and you're, you're a vertically integrated business in many ways. Um, that's another cool thing you can say about what you're doing since you are the mm-hmm. farmer and the CEO of this company with these beautiful well-being products. So let's talk a little bit about your products and, and what brought you into this in the first place. Sure, sure. So, uh, gosh, where do we start? So I did grow up on the farm and was familiar with um, being in that environment, but farming was not something I was encouraged to do. It was something that was done to help um, help with our family's long-term uh, wealth planning, even though I don't think anyone ever verbalized it that way, but there was definitely uh, a consistent teaching that occurred in my younger years that land is wealth. They're not making any more of it. And you take care of the land because land is wealth. And that was just something that was ingrained, um, ingrained into to my upbringing. So I went off to school and had no no desire to, to be a farmer. It was too hard work. Uh, From my experience, I was raised in the Black Belt region of Alabama. I was there when Pickford um, happened. I knew farmers who were affected by unruly practices and inequitable. um, Some people may not know what the Pickford situation is. Yeah, so um, definitely look it up, but it was 99 uh, it was a huge case um, with black farmers against the USDA that basically uh, brought to light uh, the the discriminating, uh, downright, just evil practices that had been in place against black farmers, resulting in a tremendous loss of land. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Disproportionate amount of debt. Uh, attributed to black farmers and yeah, just, just was a form of economic terrorism um, in many ways. And so I was in the heart of, of the region, um, part of the country that was most adversely affected by these practices. And so I didn't have a, you know, necessarily a positive taste in my mouth about farming as a whole. And Went on to build my career Uh, background is in marketing and branding and eventually in uh, environmental philanthropy. I'm a fundraiser by trade. So I went on minding my business, got married, got legally entangled. And during this entanglement, you know, there was a career transition. And after a while of transitioning, I was pretty much like, hey, what is it that you want to do? And North Carolina had recently come online with opening up its hemp program, allowing farmers to get licenses and be able to enter. Well, one of the one of the criteria for North Carolina was that you had to have farm income. 
And I had inherited, I am also the owner of a 20 acre tree farm in Alabama that I inherited when my mother passed away. So I had income. And so because I had farm income, I was the one who got the hemp license. I wasn't going to farm him. Okay. Cannabis is a beautiful plant. I loved it. But I, again, had these reservations about farming here. I'll go get some land. You go ahead. You set up a farm and I'll do the marketing and business stuff. Right. Okay. Well, fast forward, that entanglement eventually had required some untangling. (laughs) And, And I came to a pivotal point in my life where I had to make decisions on Uh, what was going to be in and out of my life. And I realized I only wanted what appreciated. So the land appreciated. The man did not. (laughs) I kept the land. land. And at first I thought to myself, what in the world? I don't know anything about actually starting a farm, growing up on the farm, being delegated. Farm chores is very different. Very different. Responsible for the actual administration and execution of a producing working farm. Mm -hmm. But I also saw it as an opportunity to actually create something from scratch, a blank can canvas, if you will. Uh, Throughout my life, I often made decisions based on what I what I was good at doing. And so, you know, uh, skip this part of the story, but I was a teenage mom twice, put myself through undergraduate, put myself through graduate school and was able to do that and able to progress professionally based on the things that here, you're good at doing these things. That didn't necessarily mean that's what brought me joy and that's Mm -hmm. what I enjoy doing, right? So I have this, this 15 acres of, All I had was a a well that had been dug that I didn't even know I needed electricity in order to make the well pump work. So I'm just like, my my well isn't working. Duh, you don't have electricity. Where do I get that from? Yeah, let me call the electric company. Uh, (laughs) Ma'am, you don't have a pole, okay? There's a lot that needs to happen. You don't have a box. And so actually going through that process bit by bit, getting knocked down, dealing with obstacles, one of the key tenets or mottos I follow is we grow slow so we don't owe. So I I love that. Everything as, as, as we're moving along. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I didn't want anything to come and steal my joy in learning how to grow, learning how to mm. be a farmer. I didn't want some investor or some um, loaning entity in my ear every single month saying, you got to pay us, you know, a portion of what we, what we allowed you to borrow and in any way affect how we conduct business. When you don't have people breathing down your neck Mm -hmm. saying, pay us back, you're allowed to make decisions. You have the flexibility to make decisions based more on principle than profit. And that has been just a tremendous um, opportunity for us as a family to figure some things out, for us to be able to, 
you know, make some moves and adjust as we need to and navigate through this space without feeling like we are contributing to a lot of the obstacles that we actually have to um, figure out ways to circumvent, work around, et cetera. So that's how I got to farming. Um, we are vertically scaled. We call ourselves seed to sip. And uh, I love that. I love herbal teas. I love medicinal plants. I love using them as a way to really enhance my well-being. And so starting out, it was a matter of one, what could we create that we have the capacity to create drying teas? Um, you know, it's relatively low risk. You, you just don't hear of people getting sick from drinking some herbal tea. OK, <laughs> <laughs> so we had to think about that. That's right. That's right. Um, and then also. What could we provide to service our customers that we really felt that we can give you the absolute best that we have. And so that is why we started out with a very limited uh, number of medicinal plants. It's easy because we grow hemp to be lumped into being a hemp farmer. I am not a hemp farmer. I'm a farmer who grows medicinal plants and herbs. And hemp is one of those beautiful plants that we grow, but we also grow beautiful holy basil and lemon balms and mints and just phenomenal evening primrose and so many other plants that we grow. We actually um, are growing Camellia sinensis, true tea plants, so that we can really be more expansive in, in our offerings. And we have teas, which actually do not contain hemp. Mm-hmm. Okay. I saw you, there's the brown versus the if white. If you want hemp, it is in our steam. All right. S-T-E-A-M. <laughs> the S stands for same and the M stands for medicine because it's the same damn medicine. We just add some hemp to it and we're going to call it steam because apparently the government doesn't like for us to sell you hemp flour to sip on, but they're perfectly fine with us selling it to you to smoke. <laughs> so technicality. Okay. Fascinating. It's, it's great for your skin. So our products are good for every poor and every poor. You know, either way, <laughs> you're going to win. And you have such wonderful witticisms. <laughs> I love it. If you, if you buy some steam and it falls in your cup in the privacy of your own home, that's not my business, okay? Because I mind my business and drink my water. That is not my business. So, yeah, that's where we are right now. We have some other products uh, we hope to come out with later, latter part of this year. We have some more blends that we hope to launch with our next one, actually, mid-spring. And business is going great. It's, it's going great. We have such a fantastic uh, family of customers that have been vested in us, many from the very, very beginning. Um Mm. And have just followed our journey. And so that's really that's 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 really the most special part of it. I love it. Well, I just want to remind folks that they're listening to Regenerative Rising's Elevating Stories, Activating Change podcast. Our guest today is Clorinda 
Farmer C, air quotes, Stanley, who is the CEO of Green Heffa Farms in, uh, and a farmer and a vertically integrated powerhouse doing beautiful work. Um, and I'm Celine Diaris, your host. Uh, you know, I love that also you, you've spoken to the family. And so you have also created an opportunity for members of your family to be a part of this um, beautiful v- adventure. So can you share a little bit about how that is for, for the community and your family? Yeah, so Green Heifer Farms is a family farm in the sense that everything about it is connected to the sustainability of of my family. My granddaughter is quick to let you know. Um, I referred to her one time. I was joking. I was like, my little broke best friend. And she was like, I own a farm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not broke. So they know that this is for them. Um, I have one family member who works with me, and that is actually my son-in-law, Josh. I did have my youngest, my son, Asher, but he determined that, you know, he wasn't really he wasn't really feeling working on the farm. And he wanted to have some global travel experience. So he's now in London for six months. Um, I'm all for it. Uh, Live your best life. And. My youngest daughter will soon be relocating back to North Carolina. She'll assist with some of the HR. But both of my adult daughters, um, they do not work for the farm. And I'm absolutely okay with that because I don't ever want to create a prescriptive future for my family and say, Mm -hmm. because I have chosen to create this, you are now responsible to take care of it. Um, it's more of if you want to come, then great. If not, then okay. I have three adult children. Uh, two of them I probably could work with. One of them. It's all right if you say no. Maybe I love you. (laughs) Let's set you up for a remote option, okay? (laughs) My baby. Oh, my goodness. I love it. I love it. Well, I, I, I love that your granddaughter has that already in her being what a powerful way to move into the world to feel that kind of richness that kind of abundance that kind of power and empowerment kind of lines up with your part of your ease around you know because i one of the things that is obviously so so significant is inequity and the the longstanding inequity in society and for her to be a young black girl growing up with that as her inner knowing Mm -hmm. i mean that just is going to be an emanation that's going to walk with her in life in a beautiful way yeah yeah um because we have inequity and then here in the united states we have a very special kind of inequity for Black people. Yeah, And and that's not something people like to talk about, right? Even a lot of times when conversing with allies, I I see that they have a tendency to want to wrap up 
other stories of oppression and or, or play the oppression Olympics. Like, yeah, we care about you and we care about them too, which is is not something that necessarily. Who are you? Who are you saying that to? Like, who are you trying to convince? You just need to let me know that your care for me is not exclusive, as if I would think that anyway. And it's it's a real challenge and it's something that's not necessarily spoken on. And then there's the added layer within agriculture. It's a very male dominated space, white male, dominated so white male space. dominated space. So you're dealing with you're dealing with that and then you're dealing with issues from from your own community because. Yeah. Um, you know, the patriarchal mindset is real. It and is. there is this this idea that you're not as legit of a farmer because you don't fit, um, you know, what what a legit farmer looks like. And so I actually work with a group, uh, have about 20 members right now. I meet with them weekly from one and a half to two hours. And it's called my So Green Society. I charge a nominal monthly fee um, for membership. And I'm very selective in, in ensuring that we have the right mix of, of people. And these women are you know, farmers and gardeners and, and agriculturalists. And it's such a beautiful, safe space for us mm -hmm. um, just to be able to come and bring our whole authentic self. There's no competition. There's no um, no desire other than to see the next business flourish. Like it's just one of the most rewarding parts of of being um uh, uh, at Green Heifer Farms and being in the agricultural space, creating this this extra support system. And in this, I share everything I know is basically a brain dump, the mistakes I've made. Um, I connect them with speakers who come and everything from regulatory um, regulatory considerations to, you know, how do you get your your value added products in front of desired merchandisers? And so it's really, really rewarding. I do have free resources as well. I have a YouTube channel. And it's so funny because people will send you an email, right? And be like, so how do you start a farm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, can you just write me a quick note back and let you, me know? You really want me to email that to you, right? <laughs> nothing to do sure so i created this youtube channel to be a resource um hopefully and answer some of those frequently asked questions um and help people avoid some some pitfalls well that was so generous and it's also so long-sighted of you because we need each other and as women in particular i'm i'm very sensitive to the fact that you know we are in the soup of patriarchy and we have been for a really long time and we as women have i think a beautiful opportunity to start to really be a witness to each other in a way that is about allyhood 
sisterhood, elevating, uplifting, supporting, listening, caring, and that there's a lot of behaviors that happen between women Mm -hmm. that are indoctrinated from this long, long notion of we're competing for scarce resource and that we need to become better at supporting and lifting each other up. I think a lot of women have horror stories in the business world where sometimes the person that is the most challenging to have a relationship with is another woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And typically when we say women, it's not inclusive because there's a very distinct divide um, when it comes to advocating for some women if it is something like I see it often in these in the gender equity conversations, um, there is a desire for equity, but it's not necessarily a desire for equity for all women across the board. And I f- firmly believe that if white women were to really get sick of the inequities that exist, they could truly transform where we are right now. But unfortunately, that's not the case. I even run up against that in agriculture, where it's Mm. like, oh, we women farmers stick together. And and then I show up and I'm like, okay, I need y'all to stick with me. It's like, oh, yeah. Um, Can we wait to February? Oh, my. (laughs) Or it's just a complete exclusion. And it's like, okay, if you really want it to be about women, then you would address the women who are dealing with most of the BS first and then work your way up. Like that's how you really, really create some change. But that's that's often not the case, unfortunately. And so we have these these rifts and these divides um, within, um, you know, within within women, uh, within the categorization of women or femme identifying. And that's unfortunate. It I is. agree. And I, I, for one, am very interested in that not being the reality I'm contributing to. Yeah. I don't want to be contributing to that reality. Um, I am so excited about the possibilities, particularly for what Regenerative Rising is working on. I mean, we're, it's not, it's, it takes effort, as you know, mm-hmm. to win trust, to win the, the opportunity to even have the conversation. You have to really show up over and over and over again, because there's a lot of distrust and pain and suffering that exists in the black culture and black women in particular that I'm very aware of. And we've experienced it in our outreach to bring conversations together. And it's just like, I feel I need to be present for that. Obviously I need to listen to that. I need to be um, receiving of that pain Yeah, because it's real. And there's a weariness. Cause like, damn, how long are we going to have to talk <laughs> while we still haven't, you know, have, it's 2022. We're having this conversation. It can be quite despairing. 
Yes. Um, and disparaging to feel like I'm repeating myself. Uh, and didn't my mom have this conversation? My grandma, my great grandma, like this is a continuous conversation. What is it that you want to hear different that isn't that's creating this inability for what I'm saying to have some resonance? And that's one thing about Green Heifer Farms. I, I consider it a respite and release because that's one place I can go and not have to um, allow any noise in, not have to, you know, there, there's this term I hear now where people want to amplify someone's voice. And it's like, no one needs you to amplify the, 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 Communities have been speaking loud and clearly and have been articulating what, what they do we need to listen. Say. How about you pass the mat the, the mic and you actually put on your listening ears? That's right. That's and right. stop wanting someone to have to prove to you that their experience is valid. And let's move on from that. You don't have to understand it right now because. It's taken you a while. So let's just move forward. Right. And let's 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 how about you just l listen to us for a minute. OK, <laughs> just just listen. Let's try something different because we've been doing it your way. And that that is just not getting us where we want to go. Yeah. I agree. I mean, that I'm going to refer back to this book by Isabel Wilkerson, because that's so much a part of what she's laying out is this long-standing pattern. And it's like a pattern can be disrupted. That's the beauty of how these things are not set down by anyone else than human beings having created story and pattern around this stuff, this nonsensical stuff. And there is a, um, a reckoning that I, I'm, I'm a Southern woman my lineage is deep into the South and the founding of this nation. There is little doubt in my mind that there are slave owners in my family history. And so when I sit with that kind of like deep reckoning in my own person now, it makes, I'm getting chills as I'm saying this to you. It's like, it just makes it more important that I step forward and I'm not part of that old pattern. I'm re I'm doing a reset and I'm helping foster a reset. And that is my aim and my commitment for the remainder of my days. It's like, you won't, I won't allow that in my context. It will be something I am constantly being vigilant to pay attention to and change. And I ain't perfect, but I'm, I'm, it's, on my radar. I'm sensitive to this. I am my team and I, we care. We're, you know, we're white women and we're growing our diversity in our leadership and in our board and in our advisory board. And when it comes to what we're doing in the world, that's become number one for us mm -hmm. is how do we help foster relationship? How do we help bring women together from every walk of life so that we start to have these opportunities to meet and listen? And in fact, in 2020, 
I was designing a women leading regeneration retreat that was going to be in person in Austin, Texas. And there was going to be a day in advance that was for this purpose to bring women of color and white women together and have this kind of just raw in your face dialogue about what is, what is it going to take for us to get out of our way and to really become in a sisterhood that has the capacity to make big change. Mm. Cause I think women we're it, we, this is our day. We've got to make the big changes in the world. We need to assert, we need to be at the table. All of us need to be at the table and our brothers are just going to have to scoot over and make some room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that darn table, right? <laughs> I tell you that table. And even if you do get a seat at the table, it's like, has the agenda already been set? Do I, can I give some input on the snacks? You know, <laughs> um, yeah, do you guys like put your legs together and pull your arms in? So yeah. I have room. Who, Thank you very much. This table? Who owns this building that we're in? <laughs> you know, right. it, it's yeah, that that table. Um, I, I've gotten to where I'm like, you know what? I don't want to see at your table. Come meet me out in my rows and we can mm -hmm. talk there. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, well, I'm with you there. Well, and I see me on my ground. And let's that's right. That's right. You know, symbolically, the table, yeah. the dining, the sitting together, the no. breaking of bread. I mean, those are all beautiful ideas. Yeah. But I'm, I'm with you. I mean, let's just go sit in a circle under a big, beautiful tree and let's just wipe away any notion of who's in charge and let's just listen to each other. Let's truly hear each other. Yeah, I remember being invited to the table one time and um, <laughs> they decided that it was going to be a Jeffersonian dinner. And when they said it, I said, who? <laughs> they said a Jeffersonian dinner. And I'm thinking, hmm. I can't Jefferson, I'm thinking about because <laughs> he wouldn't invite me to his table. He would have had me working it. Right. <laughs> So I'm like, George Jefferson, <laughs> which, which, which Jefferson are we referring to here? Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Just to say that uh, an invitation to the table is movement. But um, sometimes you get invited to, to the table and then there's like, OK, we invited you to the table. Like, what else? We're so what good. Look want. what we did. Yeah. What else do you yeah. want? You're here. You know, we have snacks. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. You know, when I was in my 20s, I was at a very big, big company and they said, yeah, we want you to really share your ideas when we have our meetings. And I believe them. So like I came to a meeting and I inserted my voice multiple times and it was like being this like I felt more like I was some sort of like bug on the wall and that my voice was held inside of some silence making container because it was like, did you all hear anything? No, not really. It was the most bizarre, bizarre experience. And 
it was like, oh, they said that, but they didn't mean that. They didn't mean it. When they say bring your full and authentic self, I realize that that is code word for come and behave. Okay. Come and sit down and be quiet. Be quiet. (laughs) Um, Just be seen. (laughs) Well, give us a couple of great ideas that can benefit us. I mean. Yeah, but don't expect us to attribute them to you. Yeah, yeah. you're genius because we're paying for it, right? So give us things that benefit us, but definitely don't bring your full and authentic self. Mm. No. Mm. Well, and don't expect attribution for your contribution ultimately. No, either. Oh my gosh. That has been one of the biggest challenges, actually, in this space is having conversations, providing input and feedback. And then seeing that um, come to light in a way that completely dimmed your involvement and participation. And that is definitely uh, a frustration and it creates a reticence. People don't want to come and collaborate because they know that that typically means they will be left out of the final story that makes it to the history book, right? And it's a continuous issue. It's, it's very pervasive in the natural health and wellness space where we are benefiting from traditional um, indigenous knowledge, traditional ecological knowledge, uh, heritage, um, knowledge that comes from heritage and cultural connections. And you see time and time again that the ones who are benefiting are not the ones whose knowledge it is. And yeah, that's 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 very disheartening for an arena that's supposed to be based on wellness. I've told some folks like I know your plant medicine is garbage because your spirit is raggedy like how can you be growing plant medicine and truly embrace it not just for the science but for the spirit and the soul as well and act irresponsibly against your fellow humans especially based on something that's so fake because both race and money, (laughs) both of those are social constructs. They're both fake. And we've all been collectively duped into believing the system other than the few cultures that have been able to remain intact and separate. You remember that a few years ago when the guy was going over to the island in in the Indian Ocean? that um, he was going to go over there and be a missionary and they shot him up with those arrows. Like, uh-uh, get your ass from over here. We don't, we let y'all come over here one time. Folks that was getting sick. Uh, somebody may have left a cell phone and, 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 and corrupted our youth, whatever. Right. Y'all are not coming back over here anymore. And, and the world was like, oh my gosh, they shot him up with arrows. And I'm not saying... He should have got shot up with arrows, but they told him not to take his butt over there. And he went anyway. That's number one. Number two, I understand how. How that desire to hold on to their culture, how fervent and passionate they are about it, because how have we organized ourselves as human beings to have these fake constructs govern our our actions 
And we have allowed ourselves to organize into a way in which only a few people own the most of everything. And we're all somehow, or most of us, are somehow feeding into that. Right. The com- we're, all, we're, in a sense, complicit. It, it's it's mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. I, the, it is extraordinarily um, hard to fathom now that you have literally a countable number of human beings who hold the majority of all wealth and then billions of others are, we're, we're like trading scraps. Yeah. Which is why poor white people confound me. <laughs> You're mad at me. <laughs> well, that's I where this, this book cast really talks about that. It very, yes. very beautifully. Actually. Yeah. It's just my, like, are you sure you want to be mad at me? I mean, I could point to a few other folks. You can, you can be mad at your forefathers. Cause I mean, the privilege is there if you're not going to use it. <laughs> okay. Can exactly. I is that their whiteness is their last notion of, of dominance. And that's part of the falseness of this. To your point, race doesn't exist. There's no such thing. This is a made up thing. Yeah. We're, and it's in such fundamental disservice because I think if, when we think about going back to regeneration and this recognition of the beauty of life and diversity. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to wake up to that on the ground, but we have to lift our heads and see it's also us. It's yeah. fundamentally us. Yeah. We have to be in the diversity of our own human family and know that when we stand in that beholding of, and the awe of this incredible wisdom and contribution that anyone with this form as a human has to contribute. I mean, we, we could change, just think how much genius is left untapped to help bring better practices and ideas forward because of this false idea of hierarchy and value. It, it's staggering to me to think about how much we're losing in the sense of like, I think every child should be greeted with this like, welcome. We're so excited that you're here. We can't wait to have you be a part of our community and and make a contribution. And our task is to create a supportive environment for you to flourish. Mm -hmm. And to me, every single child should be met with that. Every form of life should be met with a welcoming invitation to do your business, do your thing. You, you tree, be a tree, you river, be a river. You woman be a woman, you man be a woman, you know, your skin irrelevant, your soul fundamental. Mm-hmm. 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 And even get away from, you know, the get to where we just allow people to be and yep. express themselves as whoever they are. And also being honest and saying, look, this is what we've done. This is what's been done so far. This is where humankind is. Okay. This is the reality. 
you know, I know there's a lot of arguments regarding the critical race theory and all of this stuff, which is it's always interesting when you hear about that, because no one ever goes to the black parents and ask us or, or, or the brown parents or the indigenous parents what our kids are being taught about race. Exactly. Right? Nobody ever says that. It's always based on on the the dominant culture. Um, and yeah, that 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 would be beautiful if if that were to become a reality and when you think about the implications in agriculture which has just been such a violent industry right it's been such a gruesome um uh arena that has literally killed and and eradicated and 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 just annihilated cultures and people and and created these false ideas of ownership. And I participate. You know, I, I, I say I own uh, some acreage when we know that that's not even in alignment with the culture that existed here. Right. It's, I imagine it's not in alignment with the culture's that were stolen um, from some of us. And when we talk about Black Americans, people forget that Black Americans are a, a baby culture that for the most part was birthed out of trauma. Absolutely. And, and it's and not a long time that we're talking about. Not, but we're supposed to get over it real quick. Mm -mm, mm -mm. <laughs> it's no, like, I, yeah. <laughs> when you think about I was sitting in a group of women at a conference and they were talking about the generations. And when I realized like their generational story only went back in terms of being free people, two and a half, three generations, and then you're into slavery. It means what was it's in the 18 late 1800s. So this is not a long period of time. And then you think about the right to vote. That's not a long time. I mean, truthfully, we, we haven't we don't honor the the short period of time and then the, the lack of recognition. When you think about the there was more time in slavery than there's been freedom. Well, the number of generations freedom is, is open to interpretation. Because well, I agree. It's not even. Yeah, I when slavery, you're right. You're right. When, when there's a new form and um technically ended it's not as if it was like our bad we're gonna leave you alone now kind of let you know <laughs> no no, no been, we, that's true it's yeah. not ended it's not ended you're continued right continued and more sophisticated um oppression and it's it's yeah it, it's it's just the idea that in agriculture that we still have a system that if you look at ownership and if you look at profitability and you look at which farms are getting the, the huge subsidies, which farms are getting um, all of this financial underwriting from these big corporations and you know people saying, oh, I have a small farm, it's only 250 acres. And, <laughs> and you look at the makeup of how the wealth in agriculture is distributed. It's like it is a case study in 
system design. Whoever came up with racism, hell of a system design. Like, wow. I don't even know. I looked that up before. Like, who actually came up with it? Uh, was there a collective meeting? Was there a committee? Like, hey. Now, there were some dudes in England who started to introduce. Who started? Yeah. Yeah. And that that's in, uh, I mean, Isabel. Is it in the book? Her. It's in the book. She talks about to, how these things got started. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I want to ask you, because as we come to kind of the end of our time, yeah. um, what is your parting sort of encouragement to other aspiring folks who want to get into agriculture, who are coming from the BIPOC community? Mm-hmm. What's, what's a word of inspiration and advocacy you would offer up? Yeah, um, one would be pace yourself. Don't get caught up with the romantic, um, the romantic, ooh, well, I can't get it out. <laughs> it's a complicated romanticizing. <laughs> yeah, the romanticizing of farming that you may be exposed to on social media where people are posting pictures when the flowers are blooming and the sun is shining and you know, not showing you the dozens of fire ant bites, et cetera, um, or some of the other challenges. Pace yourself and understand that your farm is not meant to look like anyone else's farm. There is no one size fits all type of farming business. There's no follow this model and this is going to be exactly how you need to create your business. It's very customizable. It's very personal. Um, Don't come into it if your leading thought is, I want to get rich. Can you get rich in agriculture? Well, rich, of course, being a relative term, open to interpretation, but you can have a very, very good life in agriculture, but that can't be your motivating factor. You have to get into this because it is literally something that fuels your soul because you're going to need that during Mm -hmm. the tough times and during the challenging moments. And I will also say, you know, really do your research. Don't get caught up in the the glamorous crops. Oh, I remember I fed into it for a minute coming into him. Everybody was going to grow this drought tolerant, pest resistant crop. And we were going to make fifty thousand dollars an acre guaranteed. No. <laughs> so do your research, know who you're going to serve, know who your target customer is and how to connect with them. You don't have to have land to be a farmer, okay? Farming is a state of mind. It's, it's, it's a spirit. And once you identify as a farmer, that's when you become a farmer and you start creating your business. And don't neglect the back-end stuff and think that it's all about production. Farming is a business. And if you're a startup farm, you are a startup entrepreneurial endeavor. So you have to go into it with um, some entrepreneurial and innovative thinking. Um, like we, and we went back and forth on it and I know we um, running out of time, time now, but like we launched an NFT, which was real hard for me to, to, to come to peace with at first because of the environmental impact. But as a black woman farmer, I have to also think about what are the ways for me to, get the economic resources I need when I know that as a black woman and then a black woman in agricultural space, I'm not what 
most venture capitalists are looking for. Not that I want to be, because then they come and say, work in your fields, make us some money, and um, you know, we'll give you a little bit of what we've had unfair advantage in acquiring. So yeah, then, that like perpetuates that ugly system. No, thank you. And so, Uh you know, thinking outside of the box, being innovative and uh, really doing your research as to what is the right place for you in within the landscape. So those will be my my final tips. And to start, start 10, 10 pots in your backyard. All right. The USDA definition for a farmer is one or a farm a business that has the potential to make a thousand dollars a year um, from agricultural goods. And as far as land, you can get a farm number with one one hundredth of an acre, one one hundredth of an acre. So don't limit yourself and think that, oh, I have to have this expansive tract of land and all of these other things in place before I am considered um, an actual farm. Get started. Get you a couple of pots in the backyard um, and start growing. I love it. I love the clarification of make sure this is your soul's code. Oh, yeah. Right. Don't do it because you you have some notion, but really make sure it's deeply aligned because, as you said, that's going to be what carries you through the difficult experiences because you're not doing it for some surface reason. You're doing it because it's a, a burning desire in you as a human being, and you just got to get out there and have this relationship with the land or the pot. Yeah. Yes. To your point, <laughs> your small piece of land or your big, whatever it is, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And understand your role as a steward. Right. Don't go into it with an extractive mindset of what can the land do for me? It, 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 it has to be a, a reciprocal relationship um, that that at the core has to have love, love 100%. for the planet, love for the people you're serving, love for the plants. I love it. That's a beautiful place to to close on love, because I agree. Love is the most powerful energy we can muster. And if we can extend that to each other and the places where we stand on Mama Earth and we take care of her, whatever piece of her we have, then we are contributing to a larger constellation of well-being. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's my belief. I can't change the world, but I can change the world of those I come in contact with. And that's true for all of us. And that's that's how we do make change. Exactly. Is, is we be that change in our own way of showing up and it just has a ripple effect. And that's the beauty and the power of we as individuals who are really aligning with the understanding that it's up to us to create the world we want to see and be, and it's how we show up. That's fundamental. Yeah. And we deserve it. You know, given the love, we deserve to receive it abundantly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'll say amen. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Hey women. Oh, thank you. Gosh. No, right. I aggravate my father who um, is, is very much into the the church. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not Dad, a church goer either, well, I'll, but I, I it's like ingrained in me as a child, but it's, it's like, well, I'll just say, aho, you know, 
<laughs> I like that. I no, like oh, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because there you go. It's it's uh, very un- it's un- ambiguous. What's what we're claiming there? Um, well, you have been listening. And you have been participating in uh, Regenerative Rising's Elevating Stories, Activating Change podcast. My guest today has been Clorinda, air quotes, Farmer C. Stanley, CEO of Green Heffa Farms. And I'm Celine Diaris, your host and the founder and executive director of Regenerative Rising. Thank you for joining us.